It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Just celebrate, but we also want to remember those who paid a heavy price for our freedom. And uh, so we wanted to take that moment and do that. Um, every time you hear the guns fire, I'm a pastor, so I stand behind a lot of graves for people in the military. And that's tough, isn't it? It's tough to remember people that are no longer here. Sometimes we want to push that back, but, but there is an importance. Even in the Bible, they said when they came into the promised land, God asked them to pile up some stones and say, never forget the God who delivered you. And I think there's a message in that for us today to say, never forget those who pay the price for the freedom that we live in. Um, there's veterans, but then there's those that didn't come back, those that paid a heavy price for that freedom. And today we want to honor them. We're going to pray for that today and just, just take just a moment to remember them. Uh, before we do that, I want to ask if there's any active duty military here, if you, you guys would stand. We just want to acknowledge that you served your country. And um, so if you served in any branch of the military, if you would stand just for a moment. Thank you. Here's what I'd like to do in honor of the memory. You can keep standing. For those of you that have known anyone, and that might be all of us, if you've known anybody that is in your family or somebody that was close to you that has paid a price for this country where they didn't come back, and today you want to honor their memory, I'd ask that you would stand while we pray. I'm standing too because we have some family members as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'd like to read one, one thing before we pray today. Abraham Lincoln, if you couldn't see that on the screen, it said this. He said, we highly resolve that the dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not pass, perish from this earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, today we come here today, it's Memorial Day weekend, and we want to take one moment to honor the lives of those that gave the freedom that we might be here today to even be able to proclaim the gospel in our free land. (laughs) We have no idea the price that some people have paid. And so right now, God, some of us are standing, some of us know, but all of us, Lord, stand in this freedom, and we thank you for those that have paid the ultimate price. And so, God, right now, we just take a moment of silence to honor their memory. So, Father, we do honor their memory and the the price that they have paid for our freedom. We also honor, Lord, the memory of not just the memory, Lord, but many people here today that are without loved ones because of that and the price that a family pays as a result. And we've seen that time and time again, that the soldier's gone, but the family goes on, and, Lord, there's there's a hole. And so there's a price to be paid for that. God, I pray for the soldiers that that come back, That, Lord, they didn't die, but, Lord, they lost a limb or they lost more than a limb. Lord, some of them have lost their minds. 
and the price of our freedom. Lord, we memorialize that as well today, God, and we just pray over that today. Lord, there was a statistic that talked about how many soldiers commit suicide. Lord, that's a price that they pay for our freedom. And God, I just pray over them today, Lord, that you protect every act of duty and every soldier that's ever served and all the sacrifices that were made and that you be there for them in a special way. Lord, today we memorialize them. Lord, we want to celebrate them. Lord, we want to do more than just memorialize them. We want to make sure that it's not in vain that they died, that our freedom is worth the price that they, that they did. And so I pray, God, as, as we have cookouts and we celebrate our freedom and we enjoy it, I know every soldier would, would want us to be able to do that. I also pray, Lord, as we proclaim the gospel that we don't forget that it's because Jesus Christ died and because there was an American soldier that protected our freedom to be able to do it. <laughs> so, God, make us worthy of the freedom that we walk in. God, I pray that you're pleased with all we do here today. Lord, be with us as we open up your word today. Speak to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So take some time this weekend. Today is Sunday. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. Take some time and remember. I hope that you do celebrate. I think every soldier that's given his life or paid any price would want you to go and have a cookout. If they were here, they'd want to come be with you in that cookout. But but here's what I know. Make sure you take some time and share it with your kids. Don't let them think, hey, this is just a, a fun weekend. Make sure, maybe t- driving by the Veterans Cemetery, it's not that far. It's worth the price to go, hey, make sure they remember. There's something about remembering to say, hey, sometimes people pay a price, and as time goes on, we forget that freedom isn't free. And it's so important to do that. And make sure you take some time and thank a soldier, okay, and pray for a family. Maybe do something for somebody. Because some of them, I know as a pastor, I get calls all the time. You can't believe what they come back with. Some of them are missing limbs. Some of them are missing abilities. A lot of them are losing, missing their minds. They don't always talk about it, but they are. They paid a price. They're never going to be the same because of that. And it's worth us thanking them and supporting them and being there for them. So please do that. And today we want to practice one of those freedoms, which is to be able to proclaim God's word, which I'm very grateful for. Um, so today we're going to continue a series called Elisha. And I want to start today with a question. Um, and here's the question. We'll put it up here on the screen. You can write it down if you want to, because I want you to think about this. What do you do when you don't have much? I don't, I don't know if that's grammatically correct. I didn't write this. I borrowed this from somebody else. So if you don't like it, tell Craig Grishel from Life Church. Okay, I'm just playing. <laughs> what do you do when you don't have much? What do you do when you feel like, hey, I'm running on empty? What do you do when you feel like, hey, there's not enough paycheck at the end of my week? Anybody feel like that? <laughs> you know, I still got more week left and there's not enough money. Or, or even more, I feel like, hey, I'm seeing financial demise coming and I don't quite know what to do. I see the end of relationships. My relationships didn't work out like I thought. What do I do when I don't have much? What do I do when I'm overwhelmed? Anybody ever been overwhelmed? That's how the feelings come, right? There's stress. There's pressure. It's like a boulder sits on your shoulders. It's like the weight of the world is resting on you. What do you do when you go, hey, I've been weighed. I've been found wanting, and I don't know what to do with that. I don't have enough. I don't have enough to accomplish what I think God wants me to or my family needs of me or, or life needs of me. What do you do when you have loss? What do you do when that person's not here anymore? Um, great, great word for um, Memorial Day, honestly, where a lot of people face this. What do I do when I don't have much? Today, today we want to talk about it. What do I do when I'm empty? If that's you today, I want you to pay attention to it. If, if that's not you today and you're going, yeah, I, you know, I don't really get much out of that. What I want you to do is, is I want you to ask the person that was kind of doing this. You know, like, yeah, that's me. That's me. You can tell. They're, they're, they're getting a pen out. They're ready to write down. Ask them if you should write this down. Ask them if they think you'll need this one day. I'm going to tell you something. It's not. 
If you'll need it, it's when. (laughs) If you live long enough, you will definitely need this because there's going to be a day that you feel like, oh my goodness, my life, it didn't work out like I thought and I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. And today we're going to talk about what do I do when I don't have much? And this could be the pivot moment. This could be the one where you come in and you go, there's nothing that anyone could do for me. Anybody ever said that? I have. All right. That nobody could help me with what I got. You just don't understand my problem. Man, I have tried everything. If I could have done the easy thing, that would have already been done. You know what I mean? I've already tried the easy one, two, three kind of stuff. That's not what we're talking about today. But what we were talking about today is you could have come into church one way and you could leave in a different way. And we're going to answer the question, what do you do when you don't have much? Now, I'm not going to answer it. Elisha is going to answer it. And that's actually awesome. So we're going to take a look at an ancient prophet in the Bible called Elisha. We've been in a series for the last three weeks. If you missed any of them, newbranch.tv is our YouTube site. And, um, and so if you want to watch any of the past messages, they're, they're listed there. Um, our website is down right now, and we're about to have an incredible website unleashed. Um, we just don't know when. And, uh, so, but newbranch.tv is our YouTube site. And, uh, and so, um, but go there, and you can listen to past messages. We also have CDs available for those of you that are low-tech and you want that. Um, you can pick those up on the way out, and everything is free. And, and I highly recommend you do. Another thing is this. If you want to study more about Elisha, a great book, if you want to write it down, is by Steve Furtnick. Um, he's got a very strange name, um, but it's fairly easy to find him because of that. Um, and he is the pastor of Elevation Church in North Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina, one of the fastest growing churches in America for the last several years. Huge church, but that's not why I like him. His book is absolutely incredible. The book is called Greater, and it's about the life of Elisha, and I highly recommend it. I'm doing it in my quiet time, and it is changing some stuff in my life, and so I'd recommend it. Or you can do the very simple thing. You could just read your Bible, okay? So First Kings chapter 19 through about Second Kings, the middle of Second Kings, you'll find the story of Elisha, and you can read it for yourself. I'd highly recommend you do that, and you won't need any of us, okay? You can read that on your own. Okay, so anyway, uh, so what do you do when you don't have much? If you'll turn with me to Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 1, we're going to talk a little bit about that. What do we do when we're sick and tired of being sick and tired? Anybody sick and tired of being sick and tired? We're going to find out how. Okay, you ready? Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophet cried out to Elisha. I didn't get very far. I want to pause there. Um, so this wife of a prophet. Now, it's believed that the prophet was the great prophet Obadiah, that this was his wife. I don't know why they think that. Um, there are many scholars think that, and it could be just speculation. Really, doesn't matter who it is. Just kind of interesting to think about that maybe it was Obadiah because he lived at the same time as Elisha and he died. Okay, so Obadiah or whoever died, and he left back behind a widow. Okay, and she said this: "Your servant," she's talking about the, the prophet. "Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves." Um, this lady is having a bad day, okay? You ever had a bad day like that? Or it's like one thing after the next. It's like not just, it, it's like you could deal with one of the crisis, but when the, it seems like when crisis comes, it hits you like waves. You ever had that happen? Where it's like when, when crisis comes in your life, it's like boom, and then right behind it is another one, boom, and boom, until finally you're down, and that's where she's at. So she comes to the great prophet Elisha, and she says, hey, by the way, your friend Obadiah is dead. Okay, you see how she said it? That's kind of edgy, right? He passed away. It's not really nice. It's going, hey, my husband's dead. And by the way, he left me with a lot of debt because prophets in those days, unlike a lot of TV evangelists today, they didn't make much money doing the prophecy thing. Okay, Now, you could as a pastor because we share good news. So sometimes, you know, pastors, you know, you could make money and stuff and be okay. 
Prophets, on the other hand, nobody wants to be a prophet. Can I tell you why? Because you're delivering bad news. Hey, guess what? God's going to kill us all. Guess what? Because you're sinful, God's going to destroy everybody. Can I tell you something? That doesn't make you popular. You go tell people stuff like that, they want to kill you. You know. So he's running around trying to get away from them. And what she's saying is, look, he served God all his life. And you know what we're left with? Debt up to our eyeballs. That's what a prophet has. He's been on the run. He served God. He died, and everybody celebrated his death. But you know what's, you know what's bad today? I'm his widow, and I have nothing. I, I, I'm, I'm left with nothing. I don't have much. What do you do when you don't have much? You get the picture? And not only that, but let me tell you where the linchpin is. All these other crises would be okay. Let me tell you what's going to happen here. Let me tell you what's under our law. They can take my boys as their slaves. That's what's going to happen. I serve God. If it seems like she's a little bitter, I think she is. (laughs) She's coming to him and she's being real, and that's okay. Let me tell you something. Don't try to keep people back from saying what's going on inside. That's too, church does that too much. We try to move from, from without trying to articulate how we really feel. Oh, squash that. Don't say that. That's too sacrilegious. And what we do is we tell people not to say the truth. And the reason why she could be set free is she was willing to share even the emotions of it to say, he revered the Lord, and this is what I'm left with. What do I do with that? You know, church should be a place. I, I grew up in, in, in a lot of churches that I've been to. You couldn't answer real questions because you had to be afraid of them. Can I tell you something? The great prophet's not afraid of this question. And, and he shows us how to help. It's okay to express yourself, okay? And to be able to say, hey, I don't know what God's doing, but this doesn't seem right. And you, mess with it, you can mess with me, but you know what? Even we understand that with bears. You, know, you better not mess with the cub. You get it? The mama's going to kill you, right? And she's coming and she's saying, they're going to take my boys, what, what do I do? And she's coming to him, and I want you to pay attention because sometimes we, we feel in those situations. There's, there's something that I think that this does for us that's just kind of a side note. Some of us are facing huge crisis, and you're going to want to pay attention. Some of us are not facing huge crisis, but we think we have them. You know what I'm saying? We don't have third world problems. We have first world problems. You know, things like when I go out to eat and they don't get my order right. Okay. And you know what this does for us when we see huge crisis like this? It can do two things. One is you can pay attention because you're going to find out what to do when you don't have much. The other people are going to find out, you know what, I have more than I thought I did. And this is going to help us right-size our problems and say, you know what we need to do with these petty problems that we think we have? They didn't get my order right. I, I can't believe this. And these little whiny, complaining things that we're, we have, you know what it is? Build a bridge and get over it. Some of us, here's the message God has for you. You don't have a crisis. What you have is you just need to build a bridge and get over it and move on, okay? <laughs> and get over yourself. I just wanted to say that. It's funny. Um, you know, I didn't get enough likes on Facebook from my selfie. Nobody likes me. I've heard that before, you know. We're like, we didn't see it. We didn't like it. It wasn't funny. Your, your joke wasn't funny. We didn't like it, okay? So build a bridge and get over it. All right, traffic. You know what I mean? That's not a crisis. But, but when we see the crisis from the third world, right? This is why I think a mission trip would right-size us, right? Some people have been talking about that and saying, hey, what if we went to the third world? And I know we got a lot of problems here, but it's amazing what happens to people when they go. Now, that's not the purpose of it. And we want to make sure when we go on a mission trip that we're actually helping and not just hurting them. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but here's what I want to do. I think for some of us, we would come back and we'd say, you know what, I don't have any problems at all. You know? A lot of the things I thought were problems, now that I see what they're going through, is nothing, right? And I think this is one of the things this story can do. For some of us, God's just going to simply say, hey, you know what you need to do? Look at this and realize, man, I got a lie. I just didn't even know I did. <laughs> yeah, okay, you get the picture. But some of us, even in the first world, we're facing real crisis. Because can I tell you something? Money, finances, uh, creature comforts don't take away some of the pains that are here. Is that true? 
So we don't want to say we don't have crisis. We even have financial difficulties. But some of us facing bankruptcy. Some of us are facing all kinds of things. Some of us are facing medical problems. Can I tell you something? All the money in the world don't take away cancer, right? When you're going through chemotherapy, what do I do? That's what we want to talk about today. What do I do? What do I do when I lose somebody and they're never coming back and I don't know what to do with that? What do I do when my relationship ended and I didn't, I didn't want that? I want to stay married, but they didn't or something happened and now it's just not working out like I thought or my kids have run off and I don't know what to do with that. And Sunday after Sunday, I pray for them and it doesn't seem to work out. What do I do? I don't want to fill in the blank for you. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is for you, but there's something that maybe you're dealing with that go, hey, this isn't just a, a little petty problem. This is huge. What do I do? And today we want to talk about it. What do we do when we don't have much? Let's take a look at what Elisha says. Elisha chapter, Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 2, Elisha replied to her. I want you to pay attention to this because this is a model for how to help somebody. Okay, It's not only how to be helped, although that's here too, but also how to help. Some of us don't know how to, and Elisha tells us. You know what he says? How can I help you? I thought she just said that. No, no he's getting her talking. He realizes that helping people is a dialogue, not me coming in as the guru and just fixing you. Because he realizes that's not going to help. And he goes on to say this. Look, look at what he says. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Okay. I want to pause there because we could quickly overlook this and not think of this as significant. When you help somebody, this is important. It's not just the resources, because oftentimes we think resources are going to fix poverty. Can I tell you, you can dispense billions of dollars in resources and not obliterate poverty, but cause it because of the way we go about it. Now, I'm not picking on people like that. I'm not saying that the system is bad. I'm not saying we're not good intention. I'm not saying that the people that receive it are bad. What I'm saying is if you don't think through how to do it, you could demoralize people and create a system where money and resources don't empower people. It actually creates more of it. And we're seeing that right now in our society, right? More money is given to charity than any other time. More money is given by the government than any other time. And we're not obliterating poverty. We're actually encouraging it because we never ask the question, how can I help? Can I say the people that are helping half the time don't even ask the people helping what would help you the most? So how are you going to answer a question you never asked because you don't think they have value? See, a lot of us think we're up here and they're way down here. So they should just be grateful for the crumbs that we give. And that's not true. If you really want to help somebody, what Elisha said was, is, I understand that what you're facing you're going to have to be able to articulate. You see, he understood something that if you want real help for your problems, the problem is, is you're coming at me and I have a feeling you're thinking the same way when you're in the crisis. Can I tell you how I know? Because when I've been in crisis, it feels like this. You know what I think I have? What do you have in your house? You know what she says? Your servant has nothing there at all. That's what it feels like, right? And he's getting her to articulate it. Two things. One is, when you have a bunch of problems, you need to write them down. Because here, it, it is the most paralyzing feeling in the world when you get hit with one wave and the next wave and the next wave. And now all of a sudden, it's just too much. I can't do anything. I'm paralyzed. It's what people do in a fight. When, when the bullets start firing, some people clench and, and, and go down. And I've seen it in life. That's what happens. And they don't know what to do, and they're just, and it's this frantic feeling. You know, my father-in-law is a survivalist. He probably wouldn't want me to say that. But we do a lot of studying on survivalist-type stuff. And one of the things you see is when people get hit with crisis, they become irrational. And they get in their car. They just want to go. Have you ever seen anybody do that? And they'll just get in their car, and they don't have any supplies. They have a mattress on top of their roof. I don't know what that's about. And they just go. And they run out of gas, and they die. 
And people go, where were they going? It's not logic. See, you've lost the ability to have logic. That's why it's so important to ask advice. And what he's doing is he's slowing it down. You know what you got to do right now? If you're frantic, if you've been hit with wave after wave and you're going, I don't have anything, I don't know what to do, the best thing you can do is this. you got to take your problems and write them down. Make them line up single file because you can't multitask no matter what, who you think you are. I'm talking about the women too, okay? You cannot. No one can multitask. Let me say, even tigers, you know what they do to a tiger? The most important tool that a lion tamer has, you know what it is? It's not the whip. You know what he uses? He uses a three-legged stool, and he pushes it at him. And you know why the the tiger's paralyzed? Because he can't concentrate on all three legs. And so now, all of a sudden, the tiger's hesitant. And it's just enough time for that lion tamer to be able to move around. Can I tell you what the enemy knows about you? You can't. And so what the prophet is doing is he's slowing it down and he's saying, let me ask you a question, how can I help you? I thought I just said that. Yeah, you did. I heard the franticness in your voice and I heard what you said next. You have nothing. That's not true, by the way. I'm getting you to think. Wait a minute, that might give some hope. See, she felt hopeless. Do you feel hopeless today? What God wants you to do is he wants you to slow down. Write down what it is because right now you feel like you can't do nothing. Can I tell you something? That's not from God. God doesn't want you to believe that you can do nothing. That's true. He wants to do an incredible, incredible work. Okay, let's go on. The verse actually concludes to say this. Your servant has nothing there at all. I have nothing in my house at all except a small jar of olive oil. Can you, can you underline something for me? A small, except a small. I got a feeling that's where some of us are at today. I don't have nothing. <laughs> that's really grammatically incorrect. <laughs> I do realize it, just like to say it, okay? Uh, <laughs> I don't have anything, right? I don't have anything. I can't do this. And, oh, pfft. But, okay, okay. You want to know what I have in my house? I got one small jar of olive oil. What can, what, what can God possibly do with a small jar of olive oil? Because you're thinking the same thing, aren't you? Because here's your problem. You're looking at your crisis and you're saying, I don't have nothing. No, 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 you don't have nothing. You know what you have? You don't have much. So the question today wasn't, what do you do when you have nothing? Can I tell you, 99.9% of us, well, actually all of us, unless you're not breathing anymore. Well, I don't know, Ben, you breathing? Just playing. I always love picking on Ben. Ben's going to beat me up one day. It's going to be really bad. I always get out after dinner service. I'm just messing with you. If you're breathing, you have something, okay? <laughs> Sorry, Ben. <laughs> Betty, see, just explain it to him. <laughs> okay, you have something. You are breathing. You're still alive. And he's saying you have something. And you have stopped thinking that God can do anything in your life. Let me tell you something today. God can do something. God can do a lot with a little. Here, here's what I want you to say. What, what do you do when you don't have much? What do you do when you don't have much? Write this down. We're going to put it up here on the screen. What do you do when you don't have much? Stop waiting for what you want. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. That's what God wants to say. Stop waiting for what it is that you think God's going to do. Stop waiting for what you want or how you thought it was going to work out and start working with what you have. It's the hardest thing in the entire world because you're going to be going, I don't have anything. And all of a sudden you go, well, I do have this one thing, but that's not going to fix my problem. You see, all I have is this little bit of money. That ain't going to pay off my debts. I might as well just burn that. I mean, it ain't going to help. This little jar of olive oil ain't going to save my kids. I hear you. Slow it down. God can do a lot. Can I tell you something today? God can do a lot with a little. A lot of us are stuck thinking, I don't have much, right? And you know what she's saying? I can't do anything. My husband is dead, dude. What are you talking about a jar of olive oil? All right? What do you, what do you mean? My husband is dead. 
My kids are about to be taken into slavery. There is debt. He served God, and he's not meeting my needs, and I have a jar of olive oil. So what do you want to do with that? You think God can help me with a jar of olive oil? We're going to find out, right? Let me tell you, we're saying that too, right? You ever seen a woman walk in there, walk in the closet and say, I don't have anything to wear? <laughs> huh? Like that? It's funny, right? And, and you're going, you could take your walk-in closet <laughs> and go to the third world in Africa and, and clothe a small village with what's in there. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's funny here's what the guys say can I tell you what I say I have 300 channels and I have nothing to watch on TV I mean what's up you know what I mean there's nothing to watch there's nothing worth watching that's probably a better way to put it right okay we got it stop waiting on what you want and start working with what you have God can do a lot with a little let me, let me tell you what the question was what do you have in your house You see, when you want to go help somebody, have you ever stopped to ask them to give them dignity? You see what he's doing here? He's asking her, what do you have? You know what we oftentimes do? Let me meet your need. That's not what Elisha did. In fact, can I say something about Elisha? He really doesn't do much. (laughs) He doesn't. He didn't give her anything but advice. Not the first dollar. Does that tell you something? That oftentimes it's not about resources? He says, what do you have in your house? Because I think God could do something with what you have. And it builds dignity. It builds in you something that goes, oh, my goodness, you mean God could use me even where I'm at? Is that actually awesome? Okay, let me give you a couple other examples, just so you don't think this is some obscure passage in the Old Testament from some prophet you've never heard of. You say, I thought you were talking about Elijah, and you're talking about Elisha. I don't even know who that is. What obscure passage are you preaching from, right? Maybe you're just taking some scriptures out of context. Let me tell you, let me give you, this is a principle throughout all of scripture. When when he comes to the time of Moses, you know what he says to Moses? Moses says, I can't go to Egypt. The Pharaoh will laugh at me. The people won't follow me. I can't even speak. And he says, let me ask you a question, Moses. I don't need you to speak. What do you have? You know what he asked? What do you have in your hand? You remember that? What do you have in your hand? And he looks and he goes, I have a staff for sheep. Can I tell you what God does? God can do a lot with a little. You you believe that? Let me tell you what he does with his staff. You know what that staff does? Every miracle that God does is attached to that staff. He goes, I can do a lot with a little. Now, anybody think it's about the staff? No. But God can take the little bit you have. He doesn't need what you have, but he works with what you have. Every single time, almost. And he takes the staff, and what does he do? When he goes there, he throws it down, and it becomes a snake. You remember? (laughs) And, and they believe because he makes it, I don't know why he wanted to make a snake, but anyway, that's sick. But I hate snakes. <laughs> but anyway, so he picks it back up and it comes right. And then what happens? When he comes to the Red Sea, how does he do the Red Sea? Take your staff, because I want you to see that's God's, <laughs> God's going to use a little bit, and you hold out your staff and he parts the Red Sea. When they come there, he makes water. He does all kinds of things with his staff. And at the end, guess where the staff resides today, if we could find it? In the Ark of the Covenant. Hey, that might not mean anything to you. You know what resided in the Ark of the Covenant? The Shekinah glory of God. You know why it's in there? To remind us that God can do a lot with a little. You get what I'm saying today? Please don't miss this because this is not an obscure passage of Scripture. This is the point. I can do that with a staff. I can do it with you. I can do it with a little bit that you have. I can do it with a jar of oil. Let me tell you something. It ain't just one time. He did it with David. Remember hundreds of years later when David, they said, there's this Philistine giant and and David is this little boy and he's like, what do I do? And God says, what? What do you got in your hand? A slingshot. We've never heard of a little boy killing a giant that was trained from birth as a soldier who has killed 
thousands, I'm sorry, Goliath has killed tens of thousands with his bare hands, and you're going to come at him with a sling. Now, you might have killed a little lion and a little bear with your slingshot, but you ain't going to kill a fully clothed, dressed-out soldier. God did, though, right? God can do a lot with a little. Let me tell you, when they didn't have enough food, when Jesus... I want to just point this out because I think this is something that should convict you guys. When Jesus was going on and on and on in his message when he was preaching to 5,000 people, okay? I know you guys say that about me. I'm just saying, Jesus did too, okay? And they said, Jesus, you're going a little bit too long. It's time for lunch, right? I mean, that's what they said, right? They were Baptists. You could tell his, his, his disciples his disciples must have been Baptists because they were keeping clock. Hey, dude, lunchtime, you're losing the crowd. They're going to starve. They're going to starve to death. And Jesus is going, really, guys? All right, sorry. <laughs> and he said, what do you have? And you know what they said? We don't have nothing. Oh, except this little boy has, I can't ever remember, I'm dyslexic, two, two loaves of bread and five fishes, or five fishes and two loaves of bread. I, don't, I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But he has sardines, basically, is what he had. Two sardines, and he was like making a sandwich out of it. And they're like, that's all we got. You're going to feed 5,000 people with that? And Jesus said, bring it. And he prayed over it, Remember? And then he fed 5,000 people. Not, not, not that he divided it all up. That's pretty funny, right? I mean, here's a little bit, here's a little bit. Not, not that. They fed everybody, and they had baskets left over of food. Jesus can do a lot with a little. He says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will cast itself into the sea. With faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, I know a little bit about mustard seed. We used to have a neighbor. <laughs> He's passed away, so I can say this now. And, and he, had, he had a twenty two revolver. Sorry, we're talking about guns in church. Okay. <laughs> and he had a twenty two revolver that he had mustard seed in. Have you ever seen that? And they're so little you can't hardly see it. And, and a dog would come in his yard and he'd say, every time that dog squats in my yard, boom, he'd shoot it right in the yard. And it didn't kill him. It just lit him up, you know, and say, oh, I don't want to do that again. And uh, I was like, you can't do that in town. I was like, this ain't the country. You can't be doing that. It didn't kill the dog. Relax. It was fine. But, um, but I saw how big a mustard seed was, that big. And Jesus said, if you have that much faith, you can move a mountain. God can do a lot with a little. Let me tell you something. I've seen it in my own life. I remember, I remember, I told you some of my story last week about feeling called into the ministry. And I had, um, you know, Pastor Jim Wall came alongside me and mentored me. And, and I felt called and I spent several years one-on-one time with this guy. And, and we had a plan to start a church. It was absolutely awesome. And um, as, as a 20-some-year-old, it was awesome because I had money. I, they were going to fund it. They were going to plan it and all this. And then my life kind of fell apart. <laughs> and it didn't happen. And, and then and I got to see a different side of life. And I told you about that last week. And, and um, my wife had post-traumatic stress and health problems and all kinds of things. The bills had mounted up. We had to sell our house. We had to move in with my in-laws. And, and I couldn't do ministry. I just wasn't able to do it right then. And I was so angry about it because I felt so called, and I really wanted to do it. And I remember driving to work at a job I couldn't stand. Nothing wrong with the job that I had. I, I appreciated that job. But I hated it because I'm driving to work every day going, that is not what I was meant to do. And, and I, remember, I remember driving there day after day. You ever had that? Week after week, wait a minute, let me finish, month after month, year after year, <laughs> that takes a toll on you. And I finally come saying, God, if you want me to preach, then great, let me do it. If you don't want me to preach, then would you please stop making me feel like I want to, one or the other, I don't care which. And he didn't either. <laughs> Until one day I was driving to work. 
and I was listening to a radio ministry. Every now and then I did. I don't know why, but I turned on Chuck Swindoll. And I remember him saying something to the effect of, have you ever thought God placed you where you're at for a reason? Have you ever thought you're waiting on God to use this great gift that you think you have, but he wants to use it right where you are? And and, and it was like I got a vision that God said, hey, hey, wake up. You, You keep saying that I call you to pastor. I called you to pastor. Now pastor where you are. What? But they don't have a stage there. <laughs> They're kind of not listening to me there. Yeah, yeah, no. But there's unsafe people there, right? Don't you think that the church should be about reaching the lost, not trying to re-recruit the, the already saved? <laughs> and maybe I'm prepping you for something. Maybe I'm teaching you something. Maybe there's somebody there. Wait a minute. Not even prepping. This isn't training ground, John. This is the mission. And if you can't pastor there, why do I need you on a stage? Oh, oh. So you don't have to have a stage to be a pastor. Oh, you don't have to have a title to be a pastor. All you have to have is a calling. Why don't you go pastor there? Because if you can't pastor there, you can't pastor here. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy, that would be, that preaches, don't it? <laughs> and I remember that day, God opening the eyes of my heart. Let me tell you something. Up till that moment, for five years, before that, as a section pastor, I'd go around and I ministered and I did things and I saw people get saved. And I led people to the Lord and I, and I mentored people and I raised up group leaders. And, and some people that even come to church here now, I mentored them 15 or 16 years ago. It feels old now. But you get a picture and it's like, you know what happened for five years? You know, you know how many people I led to the Lord in five years? You know why? You can't use me. My wife has problems. Yeah, your wife has problems. You think I can't use somebody with a wife that has problems? You think I can't use somebody that their wife might die? You think I can't use somebody whose wife is, 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 has been suicidal? What is it you can't do? You can't use somebody because they live with their in-laws? What do you think I can't do? There is an unsaved person that works beside you every single day. I remember that guy. We couldn't have been more opposite. And it was a day that God opened the eyes of my heart and said, maybe I placed you there for him. He's unsaved. You would have never talked to him otherwise. No prejudice statement here. He was black. I was white. We didn't grow up the same. He was younger than I was. There's no way we would have ever normally been together. But we became friends. We had been friends. I never shared my faith with him. I shared my faith with him. Can I tell you something? God can do a lot with a little. Up till then, no one had gotten saved. Can I tell you something? He got saved. We, we, I remember where he prayed. At the, at the job, he prayed. Now, his life wasn't perfect after that, but he did come to church. I gave him his first Bible. We talked about it. I took all the seminary stuff that I had and started giving it to him. Can I tell you something about one? One is more than none. <laughs> can I tell you why we're about the one? It came from this. Let me tell you something today. Stop waiting on what you want and start working with what you have. God has placed you right where you are for a reason. All right, let's keep going. Here's what Elisha does. Verse 3. Elisha said, go around and ask all the neighbors for empty jars. This is very important. Empty jars. Not what kind. Doesn't matter what kind. Doesn't matter what they look like. Nothing like that. But empty jars. I want you to circle that. And don't ask for just a few. You know what that means? Don't be skimpy with God. Can I tell you how many people are doing that? You're wondering why you're not blessed, and it's because you're skimpy with God. Okay, some of you guys are very frugal in other areas of your life. Please don't be frugal with God. 
Because the way he's going to bless you, I think you can see where this is setting up for. <laughs> okay? Maybe you get it. Maybe you don't get it in your life, but you've been skimpy with God and you wonder why you're not really blessed. Because <laughs> you didn't bring me much, okay? You're going to find out in just a minute, okay? We did last week, too, when we talked about digging ditches. Dig more, he'll fill up more. Okay, bring a lot. Don't just bring a few. Get the idea? Verse 4. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Hmm. Okay, I want to pause there. This may be the point for some of us. Go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Can you circle that, please? There's a lot of people in crisis that try to hide. There's a lot of people that when they're in crisis, trust me, I did. I didn't want to see nobody. I don't want to hear from nobody. I don't want nobody to know what's going on. But let me tell you where they want to hide it from, their family. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Some of you guys share stuff with your kids. They're not your counselors, okay? just want to say that. Your kids should never be your counselor. You're not going to them for advice. Don't share with them things and let, let them try to make you better. That's ridiculous, okay? That's not what God called you to be there, okay? They can support you, but they're not your counselor. If you want a counselor, come see me. I'll find one for you, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is this. When you're in crisis and you hide it from your kids, don't do that. And there's a reason why I'm saying that. He's doing something here. He's setting the stage to say they need to see what God can do. They already know, by the way. Can I tell you something? They already know. Your kids already know. I can't tell you the amount of parents that say, please don't tell my kids this is going on because they don't know. (laughs) Let me tell you what your crisis is like. It's like being fat. You know, I've been fat, and I'm not that skinny now, but I'm I'm less than I was. Let me tell you something. When I was fat, if I wore stripes... You still knew I was fat, okay? I'm just saying. I mean, it don't matter what you put on. You can't hide it. Everybody knows it, okay? You can act like it's not. You can wear whatever you want. And skinny jeans definitely don't help, so please don't do that. Okay, so you get the idea. Skinny jeans don't make you skinny. Now, I learned that. I put those on. I was like, oh, my gosh, they they don't make you a man either, okay? So you get the idea. Don't wear skinny jeans. But here's what I'm saying. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) What I'm saying is this. They already know, Okay? They already know, so why are you trying to cover it up? All it does is make them insecure. But here's the reason why I don't want you to cover it up, not just for that. Because when you cover it up, you are robbing them of the greatest thing God wants to do. See, you didn't realize God has a plan for your crisis, but it's not just for you. It's for them too. And I want to carefully say something today, but I think it's important. My father was probably one of the greatest men. No, I'll go ahead and say it. It's not one of the greatest men. He is the greatest man I've ever known, period, bar none. He had more faith than anyone I have ever met, and I wish I had half. You know, this guy wanted double the blessing of Elisha. I wish I just had half of what he has had. But can I tell you something about my dad? I wasn't ministered to by my dad. My dad was a pastor, and I believe that statement despite that fact, okay? (laughs) I never wanted to be a pastor for that reason, okay? I I know more about people than I ever want to know, okay? There's a reason why some people that we grew up with that live out here don't come to church here because I know a lot of stuff about people, okay, as a pastor's kid. That's not why I believe my dad. I can't remember one message he preached. I'm not saying his messages weren't important. Well, I'm saying the messages weren't that important because I don't remember any of them. You know why I believe my dad? Because when he was in crisis, I got to see it. My dad died of cancer when I was a young adult. And I remember when he lost everything and he had to leave ministry, and, and my mom was giving me permission to say this, they had to file bankruptcy. They didn't like to say that. But I got to see that. And, and nobody knew the crisis that he was going under. And I remember going to him saying, do you, you, you feel like God lets you down a little bit? Do you feel like this lady, you know, hey, where is God when my creditors are calling? 
I remember him saying, John, I might have let God down, but he ain't never let me down. And I remember him clinging to a faith and God being there for him. And I watched a faith and I learned what to do in a crisis because of that. Can I tell you something? There's no seminary in the world that could teach that. There's no college education. You felt bad. I can't pay for your college. Let me tell you something. There's no college in the world that could have trained me with that. Day after day, that's what I see in people. And the reason why I can believe in a God is because I can go, hey, you know what? He ain't just there for you in the good times. He's there for you when you have nothing. And God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. God will do a lot with a little. You cannot believe what he can do. But don't hide it because they need to be part of it. Okay, that might be the point because somebody's hiding it today. And you're going, I don't want my kids to know. They already know. They just don't have the context. And when you share life with them, not in, a, not in a creepy way, but when you share life with them and they see the crisis and then they see the God, because here's why we don't want to share, because we don't believe God could truly overcome, do we? But God can and God will and God did. Okay. All right. He says this. So what did she do? She left him. She shut the doors behind her and her sons, and they, they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. She kept pouring. It means God blessed her. Can I tell you when the blessing came? When she started pouring. Can, can I tell you? You can go to the man of God, and you can get the advice. You can come to church, and you can hear some really good information. You can leave here going, oh, I know what to do, and you cannot do it. And can I tell you something? You're no more blessed than that if you hadn't known it. Can I tell you something today? You are no more blessed. In fact, you are less blessed by knowing God's word and not doing it if you'd never known it at all. What she did is a model for us. Elisha hasn't done a thing. All he did was give advice. And he said, here's what God is wanting you to do. And she went out and she got the jars. You know how stupid you feel saying, can I have an empty jar? And you line them all up and you go, I got this little bit of olive oil. What am I going to do? I'm going to do exactly what God says. Can I tell you, some of you guys, the reason why you're stuck is you have heard the advice that God has, and you go, that's ridiculous, I ain't going to do it. You know what, how does AA help an alcoholic? I don't get it. I ain't doing it. And you're still an alcoholic. And you're still saying, it can't help me. It might help other people. Don't help me. Don't help me. Don't help me. Helping thousands of people, helping millions of people, but not you. Okay, You're unique. See, God can't bless you in that way. And I'm not just picking on alcoholics. I'm saying it could be something else that you know God wants you to do, but it seems so stupid. I ain't going to do that because I just got this little jar. And you know what? I'm mad. The truth is, I'm mad that God wants me to do anything in the first place because I'm angry and bitter. Let me tell you, I spent 10 years at it, so I'm not mad at you, okay? You get mad at me today and walk out these doors and go, how dare you, John? I can't stand you. I'm okay. Trust me. I've done a lot worse, so (laughs) I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is you not realizing. If you do, maybe today is the day that you say, you know what, I know it's stupid, but I'm going to do it and watch what God can do. How can a small group help me? I ain't going to that place. I don't like them. I ain't going to do that. It can help. Get it? She kept pouring, and the stuff came out, and it poured, and it poured, and it poured. And when all the jars were full, God did a lot with a little, right? What do you do when you don't have much? You work with what you have. You stop waiting for what you want, and you start working with what you have, and God will make up the difference. And that's what he did. She left him, shut the doors behind her with her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. I think she was shocked. And then the oil stopped flowing. You know when the oil stops flowing? When you don't have any more jars. You want God to bless you? Start doing what he, what he wants you to do. You want more blessing? Do more of what God wants you to do. <laughs> God will fill them all up. You're like, oh, man, I wish I got more jars, right? 
I only brought one because I'm frugal. Stop doing that with God. Don't be frugal with God. Don't go skimpy with God. But she brought enough. And what happens? She went and told the man of God. And he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. God blessed her beyond. She thought, maybe you could just help me a little bit with my debt. And God said, no, I don't just want to help you with my debt. I'm going to set you for life. See, God can do a lot with a little. God can take the little bit you have and multiply it. If you will do the second thing he asked, what do you do with a lot? First off, you stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Second, second, you take the little bit that you have and you offer it to God. You take the little bit you have, you offer what you have, and you trust God for what you need. You see, because here's what I know, scarcity breeds scarcity. And what you're going to want to do is this. You're going to want to get a scarcity mentality where you hold it like this. I can't give them my last jar of olive oil. I'm not pouring that out. You get the idea? You're going to hold it just like this. And she had everything she needed for the rest of her life. She got godly counsel, and she actually did it. Let me say something. You need to get some godly counsel. If you're in a crisis, you're your own worst enemy because you think you know more than you do. You, we think we're so smart when we're in crisis, and we're so dumb. Is that true? And the reason is, is because you can't be objective with yourself. Seek godly advice. If, if you don't, let me tell you something, it's blasphemy. When you say, I don't need the church, people ask me all the time, John, do you think a Christian has to go to church? Do you think a Christian, I'll answer it in two ways. One is, you are saved by God's grace. Church doesn't save you, Jesus does, okay? It's by God's grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. To be a follower of Jesus, though, you've got to be part of a body of believers, To not do it means you think that you're Christ himself. Because here's why I say that. Jesus, when he left, he's the only one that was empowered with all the giftings. And when he left, he dispersed it among the church, which is the people. And for you to say you have all the gifts, you know what that is? That's called blasphemy. Because you think you're Christ. So can you be a follower without the church? Absolutely not. You You can be saved. Right? But there's no way you can follow. And that may be the problem is you're trying to be objective with yourself in a crisis and not listen to anyone else. Trust me, I did it for 10 years. I get it. And my ideas were so great. And I kept doing the same thing and expecting a different result because I thought I could do it better. And I kept trying to do it better and better. And it didn't work out. Let me tell you something. And the day I learned, hey, you know what? I'm going to submit. I'm going to surrender. And it's amazing what God can do. Let me tell you something. God can use any kind of jar. God can use a honey pot. Did you know that? He can use something that was filled with honey at one time. God can use a coffee can. I hope so, because that's what I feel like. I mean, I'm full of coffee. <laughs> I, I went down the list. You know, any kind of jar you can think of, a peanut butter jar, you name it, God can use it. Let me tell you something. God can use, and I was really careful when I said this. It, a joke came to me before I did this message, and I thought, ooh, I better not share that. And then God wouldn't let it go. So it was like it did have meaning. So, so let me see if you guys know this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Saturday Night Live one of the places we really go for theological advice. Uh, Saturday Night Live used to have a skit on it where they would say there was a guy, and I can't remember who it was. I think it was Jimmy Fallon. And he used to say, you know what this is good for? For me to put my weed in. You all remember that? <laughs> Does anybody remember that skit? Where he would say, every time he'd go around, and, and, he, and, and they would say, hey, what is, this, what is this thing for? It was like a co- cookie jar or something. He'd go, oh, yeah, that's great for me to put my weed in. And I said, I thought in my head, I was like, I can't say that in church. <laughs> I can look at the people and like, some of you guys are really religious. You can tell because you're like, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> some of you guys are laughing and we're going, hey, I know who needs church, okay? You guys need something, all right? 
Some of you guys are laughing. That's not funny at all. No, but you know what? You know what? It hit me because I said, I'm not sharing that. That's terrible, man. I can't say that. Sometimes this stuff comes to you and I'm like, ooh, I'm glad I thought of that and not said it. And now I just said it. But I said it for a reason because God didn't let it go. You know what? You know what I learned? God can use something you used to put your weed in. God can use a beer can. I, I, you know, I didn't know you could say that in church. I grew up, you better not say that in church. God can't use that. You better take that label off first before you can receive Christ. No, 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 no. God can use a beer can. God can use something that used to have weed in it. God can use something that was abused. Are you hearing me? I don't, I don't think you're hearing me today, guys, because I need you to understand. It doesn't matter what kind of vessel it is. God can fill it. And somebody told you that he can't because you're an alcoholic. So you're a beer can. And you, somebody told you, God can't use you. But that's not true. He can fill you. <laughs> God told you because it was weed, you can't be filled. God told you because you were abused. You were a vessel of abuse. And now somebody told you, God can't use you. But he can. He can fill you. Let me, let me show you the last verse. Because you think we're talking about jars and olive oil. Let me tell you what this is really all about. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you read the whole passage when you get the opportunity. But here's what it says. You see, God's saying it's okay to delay because it's raining. So we've got to wait for the rain to pass. You're okay. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What treasure is he talking about? Let me explain the treasure, and, and then you'll get it, okay? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Let me go, go back a passage, okay? We don't have it on the screen. You can go back and look this up. He explains what he means. He says, For the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our heart to give us light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Can I explain that really quickly to you? It means some of us are in utter darkness, and you'd have to be there to know what it feels like. I've been there. Where you feel like there's darkness that you're captured in, and and this thing that goes, I can't escape, and I don't know what to have. I don't just not have much. I'm in total darkness, and and it's encapsulating me, and it's filling my soul with darkness, and I don't know what to do. You ever been there? And he's saying, what God has done is he called light out of darkness, and he shined into our hearts. And now we see the face of God, which we're scared to death of. You know, you know what it says? You cannot see the face of God and live. Remember when it said that? You remember what Moses prayed for? See, you won't know what this is like until you've seen the glory of God. That's true. Moses said, I want one thing. He said, if I could have one thing, God said, I'll grant you anything you want. What do you want? You know what he said? I want to see your glory one more time. Can I tell you what this is saying? You. As a believer, he's saying, I shine my light into your heart and you will see the face of God and the image of the invisible God is Jesus Christ. And maybe you don't know what that means. Let me tell you something. There's people that believe God is out to get them. There's people that believe God could never forgive me for the things that I've done. I've heard, I've heard it. I've heard it right here. I've heard it right here. And then we see the face of God. And it's not an angry face, it's, a, it's Jesus Christ himself. And he's saying, I can fill you, I can bring light into your darkness. I can call you out of darkness. And then he goes on to say this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We are the jars of clay, you get it? It's not a clay pot, 
It's us. We are clay. We literally are clay. He said, I breathe into your nostrils the breath of life, and you became a living soul. And then when sin entered the world, and some of us understand this more than others, is that the consequences of sin has killed us. And we go, we're still breathing, but we're like the walking dead, because day after day we walk and we're a corpse walking, right? And what he's saying is, I can breathe into you the breath of life. Not in your physical body. You're still alive right now. I can breathe the breath of life, which is God's spirit, into you. And you won't be dead anymore. Some of you feel dead inside. You won't. You won't if you get this. He goes on to say this. He says, you are, but you have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You see what he's saying is this. He's saying the power of the Holy Spirit will come into you. You are the jar just like this story. You are like the jar and the Holy Spirit is the olive oil and his love will never run out. He is more than you need. But the only way this works is if you come empty. You see, he'll fill a beer can, but you got to dump that stuff out. I mean, you can't dump it out. All he wants you to do is open it and he will push all that other stuff out because you can't do it on your own. That's how it works. He pours. We're blocking. But if you remove the block and you start pouring, he will pour and pour and pour until there's nothing left inside. Can I describe that to you? I can't. It's like saying, what did it feel like when you knew you loved Marie? I I can't tell you. All I can tell you is the greatest feeling in the entire world. Only one feeling better than loving Marie. Can I tell you what it was? The day that I gave it to the Holy Spirit of God and he came in and he filled me in ways I cannot describe. Things that I didn't think could happen. A cracked pot that was flowing out of me and he could heal you from the inside out. And he wasn't worried about the outside of the glass. You see, some of you, you're scared because we said beer can in church and we got it all wrong because we think the label's got to change first. And he's saying, no, no, you're worried about the outside of the vessel. I'm worried about the inside of the vessel. And if you let me come in, we'll take care of all of it. Okay? But it might take some time. But let me tell you something. There is nothing like it on earth. (laughs) Oh, let me finish the verse. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. You're depressed today. He's saying, I can take you out of depression. You are persecuted, but you're not abandoned. You are not alone. You are struck down, but you're not destroyed. The living God will be there for you. Now, lots of messages we say, hey, here's what you could do this week. And I hope that you'll apply this this week. But that's not what I hope for today. You know what I hope today? I hope there's somebody here that you go, you know what? I've been holding on. I'm overwhelmed. I'm struck down. I don't know what to do. I'm struck down. I feel destroyed. I'm persecuted. I'm in despair. I'm depressed. I don't know what to do. And here's how I want to end the service for today. Let me tell you something. The day I let the Holy Spirit of God come in, I remember even when I worked at Cherry Carpet, I loved that place. But let me tell you something. What I learned in the next few days was, was, you know what? When I let the Holy Spirit come in, there's people, that, lives that were changed. I, I got to win some people to Christ. And one is more than none. And it birthed a vision for this church. And now you're, you're it. You get the same message that I had. You are the jar of clay and he's ready to pour into you. So what I want you to do is I want you to stand for prayer today. And before you go today, here's what I want you to do. I never usually ask this. But, but if, you're, if you're really struggling today, I want you to physically do something. I want you to, I want you to hold it right here like a fist. And nobody needs to look at you. I'm not even looking at you. It's not, this is between you and God. You can do it in your heart. You can do it out loud. But this is what worked for me. <laughs> Maybe two fists, okay? 
And you go, I can't do that. And then I want you to raise your fist to God. And you go, that's, that's the most blasphemous. No, it's not. Because let me tell you something. You, you know what the name Israel means? Maybe you don't know. The name Israel means this, one who wrestled with God. And what Elisha, what, what, what Joseph, Jacob did was he wrestled with God and he said, I will not let go until you bless me. And you know what God wants? He wants you to take all your hurt and he wants you to expose it maybe for the first time. And I want you to grip it as though you can't let it go. Because that's what it feels like, don't it? I ain't never letting this go. That was my anger, bitterness, and rage. I don't know what it is for you, but that's what it was for me. And I want you to hold it up to God today. And as I pray, I want you to just think about maybe opening your hands to God. It would be the hardest thing you ever do. If you really got it right here, let me tell you something. The hardest thing in the world for you to do is this. When what you want to do is this. But when you do, here's what's going to happen to you. I promise you. What's going to happen to you is this. If you do it, I guarantee you, Jesus Christ will come in. The Holy Spirit of God will pour into you in ways you can't even imagine. And maybe today is that day. So you, Not tomorrow. This isn't something to do this week. This is something to do right now. Because if you don't open your heart, if you don't empty your vessel, you're then better off if you're not new. But today, you can leave a different person. Are you ready? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before this place. Lord, I don't know who's holding their hand up and who's not. Maybe they're holding up on the inside. It isn't about the physical expression. It's not that. But God, I believe there's some people trapped I believe there's some people that are overwhelmed by the problems in this world. And if I were to look at the problems in my flesh and and myself, I would say, you're absolutely right. I don't know what to tell you. But because of Jesus Christ, I believe there's hope. And so I pray today, God, maybe they'll just open their heart to you and allow you to pour in just a little bit. Maybe right now, God, they'll open their hands to you and say, God, I give you. I'm going to stop wrestling with you. And they're going to be honest about their hurt, but they're going to open their hands to you, and they're going to say, God, I don't know what you can do with what I got, but I want, I really need you, God. I need you to come for me, God. And I believe you will. I don't know what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into everybody because it responds different. You, You respond, Lord, the Holy Spirit, you respond differently to all of us. You're a person. But I know this, we don't have to be afraid. And I know this, when, when the day I let you in, I didn't have to be afraid. And I wish it was just one time. Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't know you. They've never let you into their heart ever. And they go, I don't believe in God. <laughs> I remember the day I found out it don't matter if I believe in God. It matters if God believed in me, that you loved me before I loved you. That, that when I hated you, you still loved me. When, it, when we hated you, you died on the cross. So it's okay. We don't believe in you. <laughs> But today I pray that their belief will change their life. God, that now they go, wait a minute, there's a God, a perspective change that says there's a God that still loves me. There's a God that cares about me. And his face isn't mean. The face is the face of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. And I'm praying that over somebody right now that's struggling because they're going, I can't open my hand. (laughs) But you're right there, God. And when they open your hand, you're going to hold it for them. I know it. I know it. You said if any man opens the door, you'll come in. And you'll be with that person. And they'll find out something better than a miracle. Lord, I pray for the Christian that somehow fear and anger and bitterness and rage and, and fear and greed and all those things have gotten inside. Maybe it's addiction. I don't know what it is that's got the hold on them. But right now, God, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> right now, God, we're praying that you move that block out of the way so the power of the Holy Spirit can come in. And for the first time, joy will come in. And it's a joy that never runs out. I'm praying that right now, God, for somebody. Somebody that's struggling today, God. Father, I'm, I'm just praying, God, that they don't leave the same as when, when they came in. 
God, we want to be your jars. We empty ourselves to you, even the Christian that maybe is holding back, and that the Holy Spirit can fill them again and again and again. God, I pray they don't leave here today without that. Thank you so much, Lord, for your sacrifice. Make us the body of Christ, and Lord, help us to help heal up the wounds of each other and be able to become the body of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray you receive all the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.